If you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. Psalm, chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, beginning verse 1. If you find your place, please honor the reading of God's word by standing. Psalm chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, I thank you for King Jesus. Or for sending him as a little child, an infant, placed in a feeding trough. Or that he grew in wisdom and in stature and favor with you and with man. And that one day he was crucified on the cross of Calvary. And on the third day that he got up to give us all the hope of a resurrection if we are found to be in Christ Jesus. You have ascended. One day you will return. And I pray, Lord, that your people will be ready. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Psalm chapter 2, beginning verse 1, says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? For this verse, I would like to look at Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 28. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Jesus has ascended on high, and here we are in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have ministered because they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've been persecuted because of it. Verse 23, it says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. When they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain things. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. 
by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. This morning, when I walked through the sanctuary to get everything ready, I started to turn on the lights in the back and make sure the door was unlocked, and I went over here to this family Bible that's sitting back in this room. And I opened it up to the passage of Scripture that I was going to read today. I've been doing that for quite a while. Nobody notices but me. But today I saw something different in there. I opened that family Bible, and when I got to Psalm chapter 2, all the letters were in blue. Does anybody's Bible out here have the letters in blue right now? I had no clue what that meant. And so I began to look through that Bible to, to try to understand why these letters would be written in blue. How about red letters? You got any red letters in your Bible? Oh yeah, lots of people have red letters. The blue letters in that Bible back there are prophecies from the Old Testament that have been fulfilled by Jesus. So Psalm chapter 2, the whole psalm is in blue. And I began to quickly flip through parts of the Old Testament and look for other parts. And, and there were lots of the psalms that were blue. Maybe just one line in some of them. And if you have time, you can go back there and flip through it and see some of that. But the passage that we have today has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ, or will be. And that's the plan. You, the reason we're going through some Old Testament passages is to understand who Jesus is, where he comes from, what the plan is overall, and where we fit into all of that. And so you've got Jesus. He's ascended on high. He's sitting next to the Father. And he's left these disciples who were cowards sometimes. But he told them, he said, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, when you put the Holy Spirit inside of a coward, he becomes alive. He becomes strong enough to do anything. And I've seen people who said, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I can't do that, I can't serve here. But when the Holy Spirit takes over their lives, they begin to do things that they never would have done on their own. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we neglect our relationship with God and with the Holy Spirit, we lose that connection that we need. We lose the power of God in our lives. I've got a toaster. I put bread in it, and I push down on it, and it pops right back up, and nothing happens. What's happening? It's unplugged. Plug it in, push it down, the toast stays. Gets burnt most of the time. When there is no power, things don't work right. This church needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the way that we invite the Holy Spirit into this church is by us as the temple of God being filled with the Spirit of God when we walk in here. Now, if we come in and we've been focused on sin and, and working against God and, and doing everything else except for worship, what's going to happen in this congregation of believers? Well, it's going to feel stunted, powerless, boring. The preacher will just be like dry toast or dry bread with no whatever. me. You want more out of the sermon? Pray that the Spirit of God will be involved. He'll begin to throw, flow through His Word into your life. So 
Here we are, and these people have been persecuted. They've been beaten. They've been whipped. And, you know, they'll go back, and, and he begins to tell about Jesus, that child that came, and, and what happened. Well, the powers that be came against Jesus, even when he was in a manger, an infant. King Herod had sent people. Uh, the wise men came through, and he said, tell me where he's at so I can worship him. How many people want to worship Jesus by putting him to death? Herod did. Some people show up to worship to kill the work of God instead of build upon the foundation of Jesus. Now, you had people meeting all night long before Jesus was crucified, and, and the first three meetings there, or, or judgments, or whatever you want to call them, were all his own people. And they had rejected him. They sent him to, to Pontius Pilate. And they would go back and forth between Herod and Pontius Pilate. And, and they were all against Jesus. And Pilate said, well, I just want to wash my hands of this and let it go. I don't even want to deal with this situation. His wife had a dream. Said, don't have anything to do with this man. He was a smart man. He wanted to listen to his wife. But he could not have enough backbone to turn down the people. More or less, Pontius Pilate saw it as either Jesus goes or he would have to go. And that's what happens. Look at Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Why do they scoff? Uh, why do they plot and scheme and plan against God? Why do they do that? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying. But this one turns to Mark chapter 14, verse 3. We've, we read the story of David being anointed by Samuel. If you read the Old Testament, you know that Saul was king, David was the anointed king, but he had not taken his position yet. David had several opportunities to kill Saul, but he would not touch God's anointed. He wouldn't do it. And the people that took credit for killing Saul, the person that took credit, David had him put to death. He said, how dare you brag about killing God's anointed? <laughs> now the person didn't even do it. They were just they just said that they did, but David had him killed anyway. So it was a very important thing for David, the anointing of God. Well, being anointed king was one thing, but look at the anointing that goes on here in Mark chapter 14, verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. 
Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken for as a memorial of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So in the process of anointing Jesus, Judas plots and schemes to betray Jesus. And I wonder, which side are you on today? Both of them were present with the Lord. But both of them had opposite intentions. She wanted to exalt Jesus and praise and worship and glorify his name so much so that she sacrificed very much of her wealth to anoint him. Now he said it was to anoint him for burial. But I doubt she showed up thinking, well, this man's going to die in a few days and I'm going to get his body ready for death. She was just doing it out of admiration and respect and honor and love and loyalty. And all Judas could think of was, this man is nuts. We could have used that money. Forget him. I'm going to hook myself up with some real power. I'm going to betray him and I know these people will pay me to do it. If I can't get money out of being with him, I'll get money out of his enemies. What do you think went through Judas's mind? He cared nothing for the things of the Lord. He was only there for himself. And in serving himself, he was willing to betray Jesus. And I tell you that churches are full of people who would betray Jesus in an instant if it serves their purpose. If you don't believe me, follow them throughout the week and see what they do with their time, energy, effort, and talents. They will devote those things to Satan himself all week long and then show up in church thinking they're doing something for God when they're nothing but Judas in the flesh. You want to see God served? Then give him everything you've got Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, 1045 a.m. He'll know if you belong to him or not. Just because you dip your hand in the cup with him does not mean that you're a disciple of Christ. Judas dipped his hand in the cup. All of them said, is it me? You know, they, they all had doubts and fears and worries. Is it me? Is it me? They all began to ask themselves, am I the one that's going to betray you? Judas had already planned. And Jesus knew it. Psalm chapter 2, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Be careful what you do. Be careful whom you serve. The religious people of Jesus' day thought they were serving God when they betrayed Jesus, when they chased Christians. In persecuting others, they thought they were serving God. Be careful. Psalm 2, verse 3, it says, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. 
We'll look at Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1. So the world, they, they want to break the bands of God. They do not want to follow what God has for them to do. They don't want to be bound by the law of God. Um, Jeremiah chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon him. And though they say, The Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Therefore I said, Surely these are poor. They are foolish. For they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. I will get me unto the great men, and will speak unto them. For they have known the way of the Lord, and the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke, and burst the bonds. Wherefore a lion out of the forest will, shall slay them, and a wolf of the evening shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities. Everyone that goeth out then shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many and their backsliders are increased. People don't realize that the law of the Lord sustains them and keeps them alive. That in Jesus fulfilling the law of God purchased our salvation. Saved us from our sin. <clears throat> he didn't come to do away with the law. In many respects, he made it more difficult for us to follow because he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye or two for two. But I tell you, when somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other one also. Now, do all of you want to line up and slap me in the cheek to see whether or not I can hold my composure. You do? I've got several volunteers. If I didn't have Jesus in my life, I'd be a very violent person. I would. I have a natural propensity to violence. But I try to be as gentle as a dove. I try to be. The Lord has done a work in my life. Don't put it to the test, please. But you understand that when he tells you to go one step further, he's asking you to do something that, you know what, I can't even keep the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, you know, just trying to follow those is hard enough. But he, he goes one step further in his Sermon on the Mount, and he makes these things even harder. How is it even possible for somebody like me? How is it possible for Peter? How is it possible for John to do some of the things that they were asked to do after Jesus was crucified and Peter denied him three times that night? How is it possible for them to stand up and say, go ahead and beat me? I'm going to tell the truth. It's because when the Spirit of God is involved in your life, you can go above and beyond what you were created to do. And you began to do supernatural things. Don't be Judas. 
Let the Spirit of God lead God and direct you through life. The people of the world, they want to throw off the bonds of God. I mean, you all had a friend in school or, at, you know, maybe a cousin or somebody. That you knew there were certain rules that your parents told you to abide by. And when they came around and said, oh, don't worry about that. Let's just go do this. It won't hurt nothing. Nobody will know anything. Why do you think your parents give you certain rules to follow? Is it because they hate you? Don't care anything about you? No, most of the time it's because they love you. They want to keep you out of trouble. They want to keep you out of prison. They want to keep you walking the straight and narrow because it's costly to do foolish things. It's expensive. Why does God have rules for us to follow? Why does he ask us to abide? Why do you think that he says it's better to obey than to make sacrifices to cover up your disobedience? Well, the world says it's better to get forgiveness than permission. God said, I would rather you obey me to begin with than to make thousands of sacrifices to cover up your sin. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. If you want to follow after Jesus, you're going to have to obey him. We spend a lot, a lot of time in this church talking about what Jesus says. The things that he commands us to do. I'm pretty sure you all know them pretty well. They ain't got to go do it. Every day. Verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Isaiah 40, verse 22. Isaiah 40, verse 22. I'm going to go through verse 24. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth forth princes to nothing, that bringeth the princes to nothing, and maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away in the stomach. What happens if you set yourself up against the God of all creation? What happens if you're his enemy? What happens if God goes to war against you? What are we worried about in warfare? I mean, I'm worried about nuclear bombs, right? You worry about those. How about chemical warfare? You're worried about what that might do to you or to your children. Uh, we worry about, you know, the electric grid. Oh, maybe that gets shut down. People worry about all kinds of stuff. They write articles. Uh, newspapers are full of it. And, and all these people are worried about all these things. But if you go to war against the God of heaven, he can turn the oxygen off. He can turn the water to dust. 
He will. You're mostly made of water. Did you know? Why would you set yourself up against God if you had any sense at all? But that's what the world does. And if you want to join in league with them, you go ahead. But get out of here. Because I want this church to be filled with people who are on the side of God. Not against them. Talk about 9-11. And uh, you know, I remember right where I was at. I was at Northeast Mississippi Community College. I heard about the first plane. And like Michelle, I thought, okay, well, a, a little plane has hit the side of the thing. No big deal. And I was in the cafeteria. By the time I made it to my first class, then I heard that another plane had hit it, and they had it on the screen on the TV, and you could see that something was very wrong. And it took a while for it to sink in. And wars have been fought, and lives have been lost, and sacrificed, and, and there's lots of things that have happened between that day and this day. But let me tell you, the churches were full for about three weeks. They were full. People were attending church that had not been in a long time. And if you drove by regular stores, they had this phrase in their letters up on the sign that said, In God we trust. And everybody was asking God to protect them and to keep them and guard them because of the uncertainty in their lives. And as soon as they felt safe, they went back to normal. You know what that tells me? It tells me that a lot of people know where to find shelter. A lot of people know where they should be. But instead of staying under the shelter of God, they would rather be somewhere else, doing something else. It also tells me that when Jesus shows up, there's going to be lots of widow, or lots of those ladies out there without the oil that they needed for their lamps. They're not going to be ready. Verse 5. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Were any of y'all around for the book of Revelation? I mean, we, we spent a little bit of time there talking about the wrath of God. Uh, but I do want to look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. Revelation chapter 6, verse 16 says... And said to the mountains and rocks, Follow us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Wait a minute. I've never been chased by a lamb before, but I don't think I'd be very scared of it. The wrath of the Lamb? <laughs> Who's the Lamb? Jesus. Jesus, you mean the Lion of the tribe of Judah? Yeah. That one. People in this world think that the wrath of God is like a lamb when in reality he's a lion. 
And they think that Satan is as strong as a lion when in reality he's a slaughter. I mean, he's, he's not going to be worth anything after God gets through with him. Be wiped out. We've placed our fear in the wrong places. And as a result, we live with the wrong direction. Verse 17, it says, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Nobody. Nobody will be able to stand up against the wrath of God. Nobody. And all he'll have to do is speak. <clears throat> That's real power. When you can just speak and creation changes. When you can speak and all the kings of the earth bow down. I've been reading through my daily Bible reading, reading about Solomon, and I saw something I hadn't seen before. And, you know, God had promised David that he would have a son to rule and reign. And, and, and Solomon had a lot of peace in his kingdom. But what I saw that I had not seen, it said that all the kings in that territory answered to Solomon. That he was a king of kings. Never seen it that way before. Well, that's impressive, but not nearly as impressive as a king that can control the kings of the earth. Every last one of them. Who shall be able to stand before the Lamb? Finally, verse 6, it says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now, there's a lot of history behind this verse. And, you know, David, he gets all excited about God. He writes all these psalms. He's, he's just, he praises God. He worships God. He has a heart that, that seeks after God so fully that he said, You know what, God? I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to make you a place to dwell on this earth. God sent a messenger to him and he said all this time I've never asked anybody for a house I, I, as, it was as if he caught God off guard I've never asked anybody for a place to dwell but since you have offered to do this for me I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to establish your house, David, so that there will be a king that sits on the throne from your lineage that will never be removed from being king. You begin to go through the Christmas story here in a few months when you get close to Christmas and you start reading those genealogies as a kid I was like why in the world is this in you because they're tracing the family line all the way down through David to Jesus because Jesus is the answer to that promise to David that since David provided the resources to give God a house and Solomon built 
that temple. God's going to give David a king that will last forever. That king is Jesus. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. The leaders of the world in Jesus' day ended up crucifying him when a throwaway woman anointed him. She found worth in Jesus. She acknowledged his worth. Two criminals hanging on crosses next to Jesus began to mock him. But one of them began to see him for who he was. And before it was over with, he said, Will you remember me when you get into your kingdom? Because he saw worth in a man hanging who was being crucified unto death. What kind of faith does it take for a person to look at somebody dying next to him and say, you, I want you to be my king. The Roman that stood there as a soldier at the foot of the cross looked up and through all of the events that he had experienced that day, he began to say, this, this person I wonder how many crucifixes he had stood at the foot of. But when he saw Jesus, he saw the worth and the value of that innocent lamb hanging on that cross. And once you find that value, it's it's like that pearl of great price. It's 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 something that you're willing to give up anything and everything for because, because really, he's worthy of everything. Everything that I've got, every breath that I take, every, every possession that I have, he's worth it all. And you would give up a thousand worlds if you could have Jesus. And this world will sell you everything. They'll sell you anything. Trying to get you to worship anything but Jesus. Take your attention over here and pay attention to your sports. Bring your attention over here. Pay attention to your wealth. Your education. I'm not against sports, wealth, or education. I'm just so much for Jesus that if sports gets in my way, I throw it away. If wealth gets in my way, I get rid of it. If education gets in my way, I say, Lord, teach me the truth. Because everywhere you go, there's going to be somebody that will tell you something that is opposite of the truth of the Word of God. submit yourself before the Lord he'll show you exactly who he is what he wants to do with your life you must be born again you've got to be born again you've got to have the Holy Spirit because everything that you do without being born again of the Spirit of God is worthless it is it's worth nothing But 
everything that you do by the Spirit of God on the foundation of Jesus Christ will last beyond your life into eternity. I want you to begin to think about your legacy, what you are leaving behind on this earth. I talked to a man. He's lost. He knows he's lost. I went through scripture after scripture with him. He talked about how unworthy he was. He talked about his alcoholism. He talked about his separation from his children because of his work. He talked about all of these things. And I was trying with everything that I had to convince him that if he would only ask Jesus to save him, that he would. And I got to the point where I said, you may not have much left of this life. I said, but you have family that you're going to leave behind you. And what if it were possible for me to, to even preach your funeral and tell your family about how they could do exactly what you're going to do here today and be saved and be born again and live forever? Think about your legacy. Think about the people who will watch your life and make a decision about Jesus based on the results of your life. Are people being drawn closer to him because of you? Or they weren't run away from Jesus because you call yourself a Christian and act like the devil? You've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to. Because if you act as if God doesn't exist, then he won't exist for your children, your grandchildren, your co-workers. I read something this week that said, God does not need you to be a secret agent for him. <laughs> Keeping it under wraps that you're a Christian. Until you spring it upon somebody. He doesn't need that. He needs people like John and like Peter who are willing to tell the truth even if it got them beat. And then they went around praising and glorifying God because they were worthy to suffer in the name of Jesus. How is it possible? It's because they lived by the Spirit that was dwelling with him. If you don't have it, it ain't possible for you anyway. But if you've got the Spirit of God, don't dare quench Him. Don't grieve Him. Obey. It's better than sacrifice. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our time together in your Word. Lord, I pray that you would fill this altar full of praying people filled with your Holy Spirit, trying to accomplish your will, your work, your good pleasure in this community. Lord, there's lots of people that I want to be drawn to Jesus, and I want to do whatever we can to introduce them, to make sure that they have that chance. God, I don't want to be a country club. I don't want to be just a building sitting on the corner. I want to be a living, thriving center of worship, where the light would go out to this world. 
like moths to the flame, I pray that people would come and die to themselves and follow Jesus and be born again. God, if there's somebody in this room right now that they know they've never been saved, they don't have the Holy Spirit, they've been living for the devil, I pray, Lord, that they would see that you are the only way, the only truth, the only life. That they would come to be saved today. In Jesus' name I pray.